Good Erev Shabbos, and the Shabbos, Yud Beis, Tammuz, the birthday, and the Chagah Gula, the redemption of the previous Rebbe, Shabbos, Yudyamtiv. I'll be um, dedicating today's class for Shleiman, the Vanachman, and the Shifra, and Mary Peril, but Miriam. And we continue, we left off the fourth chapter in Gitin, page 45a, the sixth line from the top. Look, they're looking at Rabbi Yezir, Rabbi said to Rabbi Yezir, his teacher, my chazis. They can't see no lekeia, and it's not a meicha. We said that someone who sells his slave to a non-Jew, so that we force, uh, we force. I'm sorry, he sells a slave. Sell your slave to a Jew outside the land of Israel. So we force the second master to free him, and he loses his money. So Bayer says, why? Why are you penalizing the one who buys him? You should penalize the one who sold him. He should lose the money. Why does the buyer forfeit the money? I mean, he has to give him up. He paid money and he loses his money. The, the seller gets to keep his money and he loses his slave. You know what? I think we should call it. It's not the mouse who's a thief, it's the hole. You can't steal food unless he has a hole to run run to, to escape to. So who's responsible? It's the one, it's the one who made the hole. So too, you can't sell your slave unless there's a buyer. So it's the buyer's fault. It's like you want to stop the war on drugs. You want to stop drugs. Don't stop it by the one who sells. You have to stop the one who buys. There's no buyers. There's no seller. There's no customers. They're out of business. So who's who's really responsible? The seller? It's really the buyer. But he said, Yeah, but without, yeah, a hole is very good. But if you just have a hole... It's the mouse who's, who's stealing the food. So yes, the buyer also, yeah, true, there's no buyer, but at the end of the day, the seller is the one who's selling and instigating. It's logical. You should punish the buyer, not the seller. Why? Because wherever the pro- prohibited item is, that's where you pen. Who has the slave? Who has the slave who's deprived from keeping Torah mitzvahs? Or, or, you know, he can't keep, he's from living in the land of Israel. It's the one who's living, the master is living outside the land of Israel. So he, since he has, he is the problem. He has the problem. You own the problem now. You bought the problem, you're going to suffer. Yes, they're both right. You can't have a seller without a buyer. You can't have a buyer without a seller. In that sense, they're equal. The seller is responsible, the buyer is responsible. But where is the problem at now? The problem is now on your feet. So, so you're responsible. It was a slave who ran away from outside the land of Israel to Eretz Yisrael. His master went after him to retrieve him, to force him to return home. Let's write a document for the value of the slave. And he has to pay you. He has to redeem himself. 
but you have to free him. You must write a document, a bill of emancipation. No, the slave doesn't have any money to redeem himself. So you write a document, a note, a pledge that he's going to pay. Now he's working for himself. Now that he's free, any money that he earns will be garnered and will go towards paying for his freedom. But we force the master to free him and they'll give him a, a bill. Emancipation becomes a full fledged. And if you refuse to free him, we will remove him from his servitude. The Bezun has that power. So, this lowly world. Based on what the Rachel Bravishia taught, the Tani Lunar Brais, Layesh, Barts, Kumitiais, Kali, you're not allowed to. Not allowed to allow a goy to live in the land of Eretz Yisrael because they're going to cause you to sin. You would think it's talking about a goy, a righteous gentile who accepted the seven Noahid laws, accepted uh, not to worship idols. The Torah says. That a slave that runs away, mitzvah of 568, a slave that runs away from Chutzlar, you're not allowed to return him to his master in Chutzlar. You have to allow him to remain in Echisrael. The doesn't say you have to free him. No. The master wants to work, move to Israel and work him fine. But they can't force him to go back to leave Eretzisrael. So you're not allowed to return him back to his master. So what's the slave's remedy? So the pasuk says, "Let him live with you." In other words, imcha if he if he renounces idolatry. He sits with you that since he renounced idolatry, he's allowed to live in the land of Israel. So when when he says a goy is not allowed to live, he's talking about a goy who didn't accept the seven Noahide laws. But a goy who accepts the seven Noahide laws, the Torah says clearly, he's allowed to live. The so Now he's quoting Rabbi Yeshua. Well, what Rabbi Rabbi found it difficult. What do you know? Should have said that don't return him don't return him back to his father his father's ways everything begins in a state of nothingness like in the state of being godly interpreting the passage that it means metaphorically that don't return the, this slave who's an idolater don't return him back to his household his idolatry let him stay with you and let him renounce idolatry so it should have better said don't return him back to his father, to his household, worships idols, let him renounce idolatry and stay with you. The Pasuk is talking about someone who sells a slave, someone who lives outside the land of Israel. Says that don't return the slave to his master. We went up for a raging debate for 20 years. So, about 2010. But, 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 but,
So you have to free him. So why does it say, The slave who escapes to you. The contrary, you should have said that she who escapes from you, ran away from Israel, was sold outside the land of Israel, separated from you. Not who separated to you, who escapes to you. He was separated from you. Because is speaking about a slave who ran away on his own. He ran away from his master outside the land of Israel. And he moved to Israel. He ran away to Israel. So we say, we have, that's what the Pusik says. It's a prohibition. You're not allowed to force him back to go back to his master. He has to remain there. Now, if the master wants to come along and, and move to Israel and use a slave, fine. But the master doesn't want to come along. Now, what about selling him to a Jew who lives in the land of Israel? But again, he won't be able to sell him because everyone will know that it's a, it's a, it's a fire sale. What's it called? A fire sale? And you're, you're desperate. There's a word for it. Uh, sure fire sale? Fire sale? Something of a fireside sale. Something that, so everyone will know that the, the, the master can't use it, can't take him back. The master doesn't want to move to Israel. He's living very comfortably outside the land of Israel. Yeah, sell him the so he won't find any buyers. So for all practical purposes, the slave is free. He's not, no one is buying him. It's, it, no one, it's not, you know. And um, no one is willing to pay the fair price of the slave. No one's going to pay the, fear, the, fear, the real value of the slave. So, so they, they're going to take advantage. So therefore, Therefore we, say, therefore, we say that we force the master to free him. That's why he said, I'm going to force you to free him. So in practical purposes, you can't force him. What right do you have to force him to free him? For so practical purposes, he's saying, since we're going to follow Rav Achi Barabiyesh's interpretation of the Pasuk, that we're not letting you take him back home. Now he has no value to you. What value does he have to You're not getting a dime for him. You're going to sell him for pennies on the dollar. You're not ready to move to Israel, so you can't work him. He's not returning home. So, I mean, so don't be a rusher. Free him. What do you want from his life? He's not, he's, for practical purposes, he has no value to you. Unless you're part of the vengeance. Oh, I'm not going to free you. That's what he's saying. I said, we're forcing you to free him, not because we can have a right to force you. Bethlehem doesn't have a right to force you to free him. What right do you have to force him? You can't just force not a communist dictatorship. You can do whatever you want. But, for all practical purposes, since we're forcing him to remain in the land of Israel, he's free. And he has no value to you. So you might as well, you might as well free him. Do the right thing and free him. We learn another, but I say, a different interpretation. The Paul says, you're not allowed to deliver a slave to his master, Rebbe says, the Pasuk is speaking about you buy a slave on the condition that you're planning to free him. Titus says, so Titus, if you buy a slave, and the idea, the plan is to free him, so we hold you to it. Bezdin will force you. The, the, the slave escapes to the Bezdin and says, My master bought me, but he promised he's going to free me as soon as he buys me. So we force the slave, to keep, we force the master to keep, to keep his promise. You can't renege and say, No, I bought you and now you're my slave. No, you only bought him in a condition you're going to free him. So you must free him. So the Bezdin is not allowed to return the slave back to his master. 
deliver the slave to his master, we force the master to go through with his pledge and his commitment to free him. So we see he has a different interpretation of the Pasuk. Not like Rabbi Achi, but Rabbi Yoshi has said. It's talking about a slave who's, who's in, outside the land of Israel, runs away from his master and moves to the land of Israel. What is this case? explains what Rebbe means is the Kasavli Hoch. He writes in the documents. He writes a bill of emancipation. He says, When I buy you, I'm freeing you. In other words, when I buy you, retroactively, you acquire yourself. Debbie holds like a mayor that you can sell something that doesn't yet exist, didn't come into being. So when he writes his bill of emancipation, how can he write a bill of emancipation? He doesn't know him yet. He didn't buy him yet. I'm giving you a bill of divorce, a bill of emancipation, you're not even mine yet. But according to the mayor, it works retroactively. When I buy you, now my bill of emancipation that I wrote is effective. And even though when I wrote it, it was something in the future, doesn't matter. The question is, at the end of the day, he's being freed with this Bill of Emancipation. But when he writes the Bill of Emancipation, it's not his. What do you mean retroactively? What does it help me retroactively? When he wrote the Bill of Emancipation, the slave didn't belong to him. So it's like worthless. Yes, I, I can commit to something that will come in the future, but I'm freeing him with this Bill of Emancipation. But I wrote him this bill before I owned him. What, what, what does it help me retroactively? The bill is worthless. Has no effect. Of course, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that he's emancipating him from when he wrote the guest. It's not his. At that time, the slave belonged to someone else. You can't free someone a slave that doesn't belong to you belongs to someone else. You bought it from 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 your fellow Jews, and now it becomes yours. But he means is he's committing in the bill that the moment I buy you, the bill the the bill of emancipation will take effect. And that's what, that's what he says. The court cannot return him back to the master. He can't renege. You already committed. You already wrote a document. The moment you bought him, at that second, and the moment he became yours, and you had the power to free him, you already freed him. It's already done. mean literally, from the moment when he wrote it, because it's not possible. When you wrote it, it wasn't yours. You can't change it. You can't free someone else's slave. But he means, that means that my commitment is a commitment. And therefore, it kicks in. The moment, the right, first right, possibility, right, right. the first moment it becomes possible, the moment I buy you, now it's mine, I already committed and right. it's done. So it's deed is done. As I activate that commitment that I wrote, Le Mafrey, in the past, that becomes activated immediately the first moment that it becomes shy. Right. Yeah. The slave who escaped and ran away to Bekisoy. This is outside the land of Israel. Basically, in the house with the with the, Kuth, the Kusim live. He sent to the residents of Basically, said, "Send my slave back to me." They send back to him. It says in the pasuk. It says in the Torah, "Don't deliver the slave back to his master if he escapes." They thought it refers to any slave, any slave that escapes. You have a railroad, a secret railroad. Any slave that, is, that any slave escapes, we don't have to. He's free. He's automatically free. We're not allowed to return him back to the master. So Shalach Lahu, he sent back to them. 
Another verse says, It says clearly that if someone lost, if someone finds a lost object, your brother lost the donkey, a lost garment. And anything that your brother lost, any property, you have to return him, including a slave. But it says, It says clearly in the Torah, this is the exception. Yes, anything that's lost, you have to return, but except the slave, you're not allowed to return. Shalakhalu responded back to them, Ahu, but Evan Shabbat Chutzlar is actually mistaken. The title is speaking about, like we learned earlier, the Rabbi Rabbi said, a slave who was living with his master was outside the land of Israel, and he escapes the land of Israel. Then the title says, but here we're both outside the land of Israel. So it's like any other lost object, you have to restore and return him to the master. The Rabbi Rabbi why did Rav Chizda send him an explanation according to Rachel Rabbi Yeshua? Why didn't he explain it to, like, like Rebbe? Because even Rebbe's interpretation would help. They are basing their sin. They said, no, it's not like any other lost object. Why? He says, in the Torah, a slave that escaped, you're not allowed to return him. Rebbe says, you're misinterpreting the Pazik. The Pazik is not speaking about a slave that escaped. Pazik is speaking about a slave, a person who bought, who wrote a document, a bill of emancipation. When I'm going to buy you, the moment I buy you, it kicks in, it activates his bill of emancipation, and you're free. And that's what it means. The court, the slave ran away to the court, that he should keep his word, his promise, and the court was not allowed to deliver him back to the master because his bill of emancipation becomes effective the moment he buys it. So then the, the slave is not an exception. There's no pasuk that says you're not a slave that escapes, you don't return him to the master. It's like any other lost object. So that, would, that also would have been good enough. So why do you have to bring him as if he's holding according to the opinion of even, even if you don't hold like a Rachabadesh, even if you hold like an Abbey, Rabchista would still be correct. Return me my slave. So Gimara says, you're right. But he just said, because that's how you learn the pasuk. He personally understood the puzzle like Rachel Rabbi Yeshia prefers his interpretation and Rabbi's interpretation. But you're right, either way, he would still, they would still have to return the slave. Because the puzzle does not mean what they thought it meant. But he's saying, even, even, even if you learn the puzzle, that it's talking about a slave that escaped, like Rachel Rabbi Yeshia said, it's only if you escape from Chutzlar is Teretz Yisrael, not Chutzlar is the Chutzlar. If we have to return the slave. Abaya lost a donkey in Beit Kitsoi, this, this neighborhood of Kutti. So he sent him, please return me my lost donkey. You need an identifying mark. You don't just return a lost object, you need some money. Right? That's Baba Metziah that we all learned, the first thing that we learned. Hela Metziah. person says it's mine, it's not enough. You have to give him some money, give signs. How do I know it's yours? So he says, yeah, I'll give you a simon. The belly is wet. They send back to him. If you are not the esteemed son of Nachmeni. learned earlier in the track, it actually says, Abaya's father's name is not Nachmeni. He was Ray, he died, he was an orphan. Abaya was an orphan. His father died, but he was raised by Daba by Nachmeni. So they called him Nachmeni, as if Nachmeni is a, he, that was his adopted father. So that's why his nickname is named Nachmeni, as if your father was Nachmeni. Others say no. Abaya's name was Nachmeni. That was his real name. Why was he called Abaya? 
Abaya, Rabba called him Abaya. His, his uncle who raised him called him Abaya. Rabba named him Abaya because he didn't want to name Nachmeni as his own father. Every time he would call his, his nephew by the name, he's saying his father's name. His son has to be respectful. You can't use your father's first name. That's why he nicknamed him Abaya like Avi. Abaya can word Avi, like my father. My, 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 my small tatala, my father, Avi, because he had the same name as his father. Abaya was named, Nachmeni was named after his grandfather. Others say Abaya is an acronym. Hashem Yeruchim Yasin. Hashem has mercy. Uh, Yasin finds mercy with Hashem. Hashem takes care of it. Okay. So he said, if not Nachmeni, if you were not the special, special. Special person, it's not a, a, a sign, it's not good enough. It's a safe bet. Don't all donkeys have, have white bellies? <laughs> In other words, they, they said, listen, we trust you. Your word is good enough for us. Anyone else who would tell us this who would laugh, laugh him out of the house. <laughs> what kind of sign is that? Every, every donkey, it's a safe, safest bet. Not identifying Mark, it belongs to you. And I know the sign, only the owner could know. You have to give him a sign that only the owner could know. You know, if you're using as a passcode, <laughs> not so good. But you, we trust, we just trust. Is and, but right in the beginning, why didn't they return? Abaya said, Give me my donkey. So you know, Abaya is. He says, This is my donkey. He said, No, give us a sign. Then he comes back with something that's not a sign. He says, okay, we'll give it to you because we trust you. So why in the first place? Why did you hack me in China in the first place? Why you just give me? I told you this is mine. You trust me, you don't trust me. Some safer explains, he holds that if you give a bad simon, you know, Talmud Chachem, you trust. And he recognizes it. You know, just on his face and his visual, he's telling the truth, you believe it. But what if there's a bad simon, a very weak simon? Then it would take. Then it would tell you that even the Talmud Chacham you shouldn't give back. Maybe the Talmud Chacham is relying on the simon. Maybe he's making a mistake because there's a very weak simon, and he thinks that he recognizes it because of the simon. That's what he says. Give us a simon. Maybe you think you recognize it because you're relying on a very weak simon, which is not a simon. And then even the Talmud Chacham you wouldn't return it. That's why he gave him something that's completely not a simon. He said, no, a white belly. Every donkey has a white belly, exactly. I don't have a simon. I just know my donkey. I recognize it. And because he's Nachmeni, he's such a great Torah scholar, and he's genuine and honest. So therefore, we return him the donkey. Okay. Next Mishnah. Again, this is all, these all the string of Mishnahs are things that the Chachamim did and actments for the benefit of society. You're not allowed to redeem someone more than his worth, more than his value. They think in the law. Because otherwise, it's going to be kidnapping all the time, right? They kidnap soldiers every day. They'll be kidnapping. Uh, this is, there's no end to it. You know, they allowed... The Madame of Rottenberg, they, he died in prison. He died in prison. They, 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 they took ransom. The, the, the chief rabbi of the Jewish people 
And they didn't. Re and he refused. He said, "Don't redeem me, because if they're going to redeem me every day, they're going to be kidnapping uh, rabbis." And, and it never happened again. In other words, he died in prison, and they, uh, so they learned a lesson. It's not going to work. Because you have to be careful. You want to help this person, but you're going to destroy the whole community. So you can't. You can't help one person at the expense of the whole community. You're also not allowed to help captives escape. Because you're going to ruin all those who are still in prison. They're going to come down so hard, and anyone that's still locked up, it's unfortunate enough, which is 99% of everyone else that still remain in prison, they're going to come down on them, and they're going to treat, so mistreat them, and they're going to abuse them, and they're going to hurt them, and they're going to make it so impossible to escape, they're going to make life miserable. So you saved one person, you feel great. Like a true liberal, you feel great. Oh, I'm so kind, I'm so compassionate, I care so much. But what did you do? You just ruined the life of thousands. So you can walk around feeling great, getting medals of honor. Look how compassionate I am, look how kind I am, I redeem this person. And meanwhile, you ruined and destroyed, quietly you ruined and destroyed the lives of thousands. What have you accomplished? That's why the Rebbe was against the public marches for the, for the Soviet jury. He said, Rebbe says, I know what's going on in Soviet jury. Yeah, you may shame the government to release a Jew here and a Jew there and a thousand Jews there. In the meanwhile, they're persecuting three million Jews who are left behind. They're taking it out on them. So who says you're allowed to do that? It's very nice. You feel like a hero and you feel like you've accomplished and you can show everyone how heroic you are and how compassionate you are and how caring you are. And meanwhile, quietly, you've destroyed and hurt and harmed incalculably all those who are left behind. So you have to weigh. You have to, you have to weigh. You, know, it's, you have to look at the whole picture. You can't just be a sliver and... These are, these are the calculations that you have to take into consideration. You're not doing anyone any favors. Yes, you helped this person, but you ruined it for everyone else. You destroyed everyone else. You sleep well at night. This was for the benefit of the captives who are left behind. Take their anger and all those who are left behind. What's the difference between these two? The mother will explain. What's the difference whether it's for the benefit of society? You say it's before future captives. They're going to keep all captives in chains or in pits in such maximum security prisons that no one can even ever possibly escape. So you're going to be miserable. You're going to, you're going to be tortured because of what you did. And all, or you say it because all those that remain behind, not in the future, all those that remain behind, they're going to take out their anger and wrath and really let out their anger. Okay, well, what's the practical difference in these? But we get the point. This is something that people don't think. So people are so short-sighted. People don't look at the whole thing. Everyone is. It's, it's, it can be very selfish. You know, spirituality could be the ultimate ego trip. Your kindness, you can kill someone with your kindness. You're so kind that you're, you're killing everyone. Your kindness. Please have Rahmanas. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it already. It's not about me. It's not about I. It's not me, myself, and I. Egotistically, it's very satisfying. I help the prisoner escape. 
Prophet. Look at the damage that you're causing countless others, which you don't see. It's not in headlines. But, you know, there's no seichel and there's no kindness here. It's, they had a question. The Mishnah says because of the benefit of society. Does he mean to avoid a burden on the community? In other words, the community shouldn't become impoverished because we have to redeem all the captors. Or that they shouldn't be encouraged to capture more people. In other words, it's too much money. You can't impose, it's too much of a burden. You can't impose a burden on the community. If they're asking a reasonable price, fine. But they're asking more than the reasonable price. They're just, uh, um, you know, it's like um, they're, they're, they're holding us hostage and they're like trying to extract money from us. Then it's too much. The community is not responsible. We can't, we can't, it's too much of a burden for us. Or are you worried that they're going to, it's good business every day. They'll just capture kidnapping. You know, Mexico, it's whole industry in, 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 in Venezuela and you know, South America, the whole industry. They kidnap people, they ask the family for the ransom, and then, then, you know, they return It's a big business. You ask for a crazy amount of money, you know, they estimate an amount that you can, you can manage, sell your house or something, mortgage your house, and give them the money and then return the captive. So then every day there'll be another captive, you know. So your mother says, what's the practical difference? So Toshma, I'll bring you up with Levi, Levi, the son of Daga, ransomed his daughter for 13,000 golden dinners. And personally, it's personal funds. He didn't ask the community to participate. So what do we see? The problem is, it's a burden on the community. We can't expect the community to come up with crazy money. But if you want to pay, if the re- this is the practical difference. If you're going to say the reason is because if, they, if it's good business, so the, the, every day they're going to kidnap someone else. Then he would not be allowed to, kid, to redeem his own daughter, even if he has the money. Because you're, you're ruining it for everyone else. They're going to be kidnapping every day. Every rich person, the, the trial will not be kidnapped. It's good, good business. Why go to work? Just to kidnap, kidnap a rich person's child, and I'll walk away with 13,000 golden. But Abayas, Abayas said, the man Lemelon, how do you know? Who said, did he ask? Did he go to a rabbi to ask? He didn't ask any rabbi if he could or he should. He just did it. He's rich, he did it. But maybe if he asked the rabbis, they would tell him you're not allowed to do it because you're ruining it for everyone else. says that you're not allowed to pay more than their value um, because they're going to start kidnapping everyone but a person so therefore even if you can afford you're not allowed to but, um, but the person could redeem himself pay all the amount of money if they kidnap you and you have the money for yourself you're allowed to and also um, you're allowed to uh, question is your wife, your spouse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's an argument. Some say you're not allowed to more than a worth, and some say no. Just like you're allowed to spend for yourself, all the amount you're allowed to spend. Paper says, and a person will spend anything for himself.
And for a Talmud Chacham also, a special person you're allowed to. Rottenberg is even a Talmud Chacham, he's a Gadoladay. The Rosh's own Talmud said you're allowed to redeem it because he's a Gadoladay, he's different. But he insisted, you know, don't redeem it. And anyway, it was so, it was so, so much money, they just couldn't put it together. Yeah, every, every, everyone, yeah. Right, right, right. Okay, so I, yeah, so I guess you're right. In other words, if if you if you're redeeming them, ransoming them according to the value, then there's no difference between a Jew and a non-Jew. So they're, they're not going to go after Jews. Like, yeah, you have kidnappers in the world. There's nothing you can do. And submit to the Pidyum Shmuel. If someone is kidnapped, you have to redeem them. You have to ransom them. Of course, the kidnappers are going to kidnap other people. That's what they do for a living. Uh, but if they want more, they're trying to extract. They're trying to hold the hostage. They're trying to extract. They know the Jewish community is compassionate and will do anything to save each other. So they're going to have an outrageous price. They have an outrageous price. We say the, the community is too much of a burden. We can't expect the community, even though it says with Samad al you're not allowed to let a Jew die, but, uh, but and you have to bankrupt yourself to fulfill the prohibition. But that's an individual, not the community. What do you want from the community? The community, you can't. But then what it says, even for your own daughter, really you're not allowed to. What do you mean? How can I... But it's, 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 I guess it's an enactment. The rabbis are saying, don't sit home and, and don't do it, because otherwise you're going to trigger, they're going to start kidnapping every, every Jewish child that his father can afford to pay outrageous, outrageous sums. It says in the mission, they're not allowed to cause the prisoner to escape because of the enactment of society, the benefit of society. It's for the benefit of the captives who are left behind. What's the practical difference between these two reasons? There's only one, one captive. According to the second Rabbi Shimon, there's one captive. There's no one left behind. There's no one, no one you have to worry about. So help him escape, and you should help him escape. But if the reason is the future, that all future uh, prisoners, they're going to chain them, they're going to put them in a pit, they're going to lock them up in maximum security, and their time in prison will be so miserable, and you're not allowed to. After, after Entebbe, actually, there was no hijacking for the next 10 years anywhere in the world. Entebbe was on the country. That, that's what that's a nick, nipped it in the bud, that it doesn't pay to hijack because he can end up dead. And, and they were all free. No, we're talking about prison, regular prison. We're talking about the people. People are in prison. And he's not talking about you yourself to escape. You yourself to escape is what they hate. But for us to help you escape. By the way, in the previous thing, he says, in times of war, you're allowed to pay exorbitant prices because there's no deterrence anyway. War, they're kidnapping anyway. And also, if the person is in danger, of course, life is in danger, then. Um, no limits, you're allowed to redeem. Okay. The daughters of Ramnachman would stir a boiling pot with their hands without getting burnt. So they must have been like holy, holy women, righteous women. Miraculously, they would stir a boiling pot and they wouldn't get burnt. Avilus was perplexed. See if it says, "Oh, the echad melech mitzasi, one righteous man in a thousand. I did find." Darshleimah Melech says, "I couldn't find a single righteous, righteous woman." Pasuk in Ecclesiastes, Gelus. We have the daughters of Nachman. 
were righteous, not one but two, or, or many daughters. So, it happened that something that something happened, and they were they were kidnapped. What has Garma? This caused them to be kidnapped. They were kidnapped together with with Rav Ilish because Rav Ilish said he said it doesn't make sense to me. They're so righteous, so Hashem caused this to happen that he should be kidnapped together with them. And Rav Ilish was also kidnapped, kidnapped with him, captured. one day. A man was sitting next to Ravilish who understood the language of birds. Also, Urvu, Karile, a raven, came calling out to Ravilish. Amalei, Ravilish said, My karma, what's the raven saying? Amalei, Ilish, Brach, Ilish, Brach. Ilish, flee, Ilish, run away. You have an opportunity now, a window. Run. Amar, Ravilish says, Urvu, Shikru, raven is a liar. I'm not going to rely on the raven. I don't trust the raven. Just like in Noah, the raven is a liar. Ravens are not faithful. Noah sent the raven out, and he just he just sat right next to the window. You know, he was lazy. He didn't go. Says, I don't rely on what he said. No, he also yena. A dove came, carry and started chirping. I'm a late Avilish uh, to this person, my comrade. You, you understand the language of birds. What's the dove saying? I'm a late. He said, Avilish, Ilish, Brach, Ilish, Brach. Dove is saying, escape. Ilish, run, escape. I'm a late. Knesset is all beginning. The Jewish people, the congregation of Israel is compared to a dove. So a dove, I believe. A dove, I trust. <clears throat> says, Yenasi Tamasi. My dove, my perfect one. Referring to the Jewish people. Shem compares the Jewish people to a dove. This I understand that a miracle is going to happen. I'm going to succeed. I'm going to, I will be able to escape. Amri said, Let me go see the Nachman's daughter. If they kept their faith in prison, I will take them with me. Amri said, Any concern that women have. They discussed with each other in the bathroom, in the outhouse. So he went to the outhouse to, to eavesdrop on them, to see what's going on. He heard the comment, they said, Are they governing? These captors are our husbands now. And then our doyans were our husbands in the past. But now we fell in love with our captors. We don't need our husbands. Now they're husbands. We're happy to marry them. Let us tell our captors, let us leave from here. Our husband will not come. And they will find out where we are and free us. We don't want to be free. We want to stay with you. So then Rabbi Ilish ran away without Nachman's daughters. He left them there. Obviously, they, they did not keep their faith. He wanted to be with the Goyim. He went with that man who understood the language of the birds. For him, a miracle happened. He crossed the river on a ferry and he left his, uh, those who chased him on the other side. He was able to escape. But the person who was able to read the la- understand the language of birds, they caught him and they killed him. 
Yehudar was awesome when Nachman's daughters eventually came back. I guess the new husbands didn't like them. <laughs> no, they were ransom against their will. They didn't want to be ransomed, okay. but the husbands found out. The, the Jewish husbands found out, and they ransomed them. The new husbands were, were, were yeah for money. Yeah, yeah, we love you, but uh, but uh, but we love money more. Now we understood that the miracle that happened to them, they were able to stir a boiling pot without getting burned. They did it with the power of sorcery. Shleiman Melech was right. I didn't even find one in a thousand. Another enactment for the benefit of society. You're not allowed to buy it. Tighter scrolls fill them with when they recover from the idolaters. Yes, they're going to more than their value. But otherwise, they're going to go stealing and taking them. They're going to go stealing, and um, you don't want to like this. Is not going to pay. So it's not worth it for them. You know, they once. Uh, <laughs> What's the story? Goyim. They once stole everything, so they they, they stole a pair of villain. So uh, a Jew is going, he sees a Jew, a non-Jew, has a pair of tefillin. So he says, where, where do you steal it from? He says, stole it. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, shoe, a shoemaker, whatever, a shoe. Uh, he thought it looked like it must have been something that you wear, leather. You don't know, you know what's going on. He said, I made so. It says you don't pay more for the tefillin than the sefer Torah, more than it's worth. But it's the worth you do pay. You can assume it's kosher if you find the Torah. If they're selling a Torah in in, uh, in Macy's or whatever, you can buy it because because it's kosher. But why? No, the mother says. How do I, he says? What's the proof? Maybe the Mishnah means the malignant. Maybe it means really you can't read in the Torah. You can't assume it's kosher. When it says you buy it, you buy it in order to properly bury it in Shemus, not to read it to use it, but to treat it respectfully. On the other hand, yeah, you don't want to leave a Torah by a goy. So you have to weigh the two. You have to weigh the two. It's like before. You have to wait the two. A Jew is sitting in prison. You have a chance to redeem it. Tur is expensive. Tur is now worth fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. To send the money to your daughter. Still, 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 to leave, to leave, to leave a tighter by a guy. You have to take that into consideration also. To leave a Jew in prison, you have to So that's what you make of it. If it's the value, yes, yes, of course he's taking advantage of me. But I'm, I have no choice. But if it's more than the value, then, okay. That, that's where we draw a line. I mean, there are advantages to redeeming. There are advantages to, to saving the table. So that's where we draw the line. If it's the value, if it's more than the value. So he said it's not necessarily to read it. It could be just, just to bury it, to, to bury it properly. Treat it with respect. We learn the safe potato shakasamin. You start someone who doesn't believe in Hashem, you have to burn it. Because when he says Hashem's name, he doesn't believe in Hashem. He's an atheist. So therefore it has to be burned. There's no holiness to the Tayyar. The holiness of the Tayyar is Hashem's name. If you believe in Hashem. But he meant a pagan deity. He had in mind Hashem's name. Every time he wrote Hashem's name, he had in mind an, an idol. So it's a des- desecration. This Tayyar, you should burn it. Every, every. So if a guy, if a guy writes it, you should put it away. 
is a, a, a guy that writes a title. Uh, a, a guy that has a Torah is it fit? We're going to learn if a guy if a guy writes a Torah is it kosher is it not kosher? But again, we don't know we don't know what his intent is. If it's kosher, if it's not kosher, guys, so you buy it from him. You don't buy, you, you you bury it. If it's, even if it's kosher, I don't know what he had in mind. So you bury it. Okay, then he says. The Torah was found in the possession of a min. You're You should put it away. He, maybe he didn't write it. Maybe he, he, we don't know if he, the min wrote it, the atheist wrote it, or the one who believes in, who worships uh, pagan, pagan worship. Maybe it was written by someone else. It was found by the min. So it's in doubt. You, you don't read it. You put it away. You bury it. But if you find it in possession of an idolater, Amri law, some say you got it, some say put it away. Because maybe he wrote it. But Amri law, others say you read it. This opinion, a guy could write a title. He's eligible to write a title. So either way, if he just has it and a Jew wrote it, so fine. Even if he wrote it, it's also fine. So therefore, according to this opinion, you're allowed to use the Torah, read it, and show. Like a svek sveka. Firstly, maybe the Jew wrote it, and the guy just has it. Secondly, even if the guy wrote it, maybe he didn't, he didn't have a mind for a pagan, for, for idols. He thought about Hashem. And then it's kosher. So therefore, we can be lenient, and you're allowed to read it. Safe a Torah that was written by Goy. One opinion is one Brayse says he's sorry to burn it. Another Brayse says he got it. Third opinion is he allowed to read it from her. So you have three opinions. Which one is it? You burn it, bury it, or read it? There's no argument. All three are correct. How is that? Oh, the Tanya sort of when do we say you burn Rabbelezer? Uh, it's the opinion of Rabbelezer. Rabbelezer holds that an intent of an idolatry we assume is idolatry. When he thinks of a God, he's thinking of, of idolatry. So you burn it. Yeah, Rabbelezer says if a guy slaughters an animal, we assume that he intended to sacrifice it for his idol. We just assume. That's his thought. That's his thought process. So, so according to Rabbi Lezer, when he writes a Torah, when he th- says Hashem, he's thinking, surely he's thinking about his idol. So therefore, burn it. Well, the Tanya, the Brayse says, you put it away. This is the Tanya, the Brayse. The Tanya, Rabbi Mnuna, the Rabbi from Pashrunia. Rabbi Mnuna, the son of Rabbi Rabbi from Pashrunia, taught, Sefer Torah, Tvilim Zusha, Kosman, Min. A Torah scroll mezuzah written by a tefillin written by a min, written by a, a min or or a goy. So it's not a min. Some take out min. A maser and a former, a Jewish informer who forms another Jews even financial matters to authorities. So the worst, the worst, the worst, the lowest level. You're allowed to even kill him. Oivet Kechavim, an idolater. A Torah, a Tfilim, was written by an idolater. The Evid, a Canaanite slave, an under slave. A Yisha, a woman, a cotton, a miner, a kusi. 
quickly were converted, but it wasn't a genuine conversion. Or didn't, or later on maybe they did, but they, they didn't accept the oral title. Yisrael Mummer, a Jew apostate, converts to Christianity outside, out of his religion, out of his faith. Sulin are invalid. He doesn't say you should burn it. That's why they take out the word min. We just learned that any title that was written by a min, you can definitely burn it. But he's saying it's possible. It's not valid. You can't read it. Shunemar says, Uchsartem, Uchsartem. That you should bind and you should write. A child, a minor, who can't put on, is not obligated to put on, can't write. That's why even though a cut and a minor has mice, he could do action. So why can't he write? No. If a minor writes film, there's no holiness to it. Can't use it. And here you see how essential Kavana is. People think Kavana is icing in the cake. It's a, it's a mistake. Without Kavana, you have nothing. A child who doesn't have Kavana, his mitzvahs are not mitzvahs. His tefillin are not tefillin. He can't bring holiness into this world. He can't bring Hashem into this world. Mitzvah, take a physical object and turn it into a mitzvah, to a holy object, holy parchment. He doesn't have that power. Without Kavana, it's essential. It's a body without a soul. What's a body without a soul? Dead. Corpse. You have nothing. People misunderstand the whole idea of Kavana and Maisa. It's Tanya I don't know. There's this Tanya. Tanya, we learn. You can buy Taylor from any dollars anywhere, but that is long. As long as they're written properly. There was once a guy in Sidon. So he would write Taylor scrolls. He hit the number of in China and ship it off to China. Let the Chinese start writing. <laughs> you can buy a Taylor for, for, for $10. Right. $100, you'll have a beautiful Taylor. He said, You're allowed to read from it. You're not allowed to put on fill, write fill, and how much more so you're not allowed to write a safe Taylor. Okay. So he allowed them and he said, You're allowed to use it. Anyway, Rav Shimon Gamliel argues, Rav Shimon Gamliel holds that he doesn't hold a Vakshartim Vakshartim. It's not a requirement. Even if you yourself are not obligated, you may doubt you could write a Taylor. And maybe how much more so that a woman could write a Tefillin. A minor. Rav Shimon Gamliel, even Lishman Boy, Shimon Gamliel requires that the hide has to be done Lishma for the purpose of Tefillin. That the boxes of the tefillin have to be tanned with intent of being done for the sake of tefillin. But to write doesn't have to be lishma. Does it make sense? The boxes have to be lishma, but the writing not. Does he have to say that? He coated the tefillin with layers of gold, or or he covered it with with the leather hide of unkosher animal, the hide of unkosher psulay. The tefillin are not kosher. But if it's with the hide of a kosher animal, even though they were not they were not worked, the hides were not um, worked on lishma. He all no. 
he's strict. He says even the making of the hide, the, the preparing of the hide, has to be done for the purpose of tefillin. Lishma. So surely the writing has to be lishma. So it doesn't make sense. But I'm a Rishma. Rishma was an answer. Gamliel said the Titus was written by idolaters are fit for use. He's referring to a proselyte. He got the full game. But then he reverted back. So he remains a Jew. So he knows that the mitzvah, the Titus has to be written for the sake of, uh, for the sake of a Titus. Lishma. If he referred to back the Sudai, a Jew who was a Jew, became a convert, became full fledged Jewish, and then he ran away from it. I mean, surely he became an atheist. So you have to burn the title. What do you mean you're allowed to read from the title? He reverted back to his original ways out of fear, not out of conviction. He was afraid they're going to kill him. It's unpopular to be Jewish. In Eastern Europe, you are not allowed to proselytize a non-Jew. So he was afraid they would kill him, so he went back. But really, in his heart, he still remained a believer. And therefore, he's going to write the title Lishma. So everyone holds a Fatim of Safta. The rabbis learn my limit they trap. You're allowed to pay the toilets for the mezuzahs, you're allowed to pay a little more than the value. A little more. Up until a trap. Trapic is a smaller a smaller coin, small amount. Small amount is allowed to travel for it. Because it's not self-evident that you overpaid for it. It's just a trapic. My trepic, what's a trepic? I'm not sure. It's Easter. The trepic is an Easter. An Easter is a half a zuz. But, um, was an Arab woman. She bought a whole bag of tefillin for a buyer. He said to her, Will you give me each pair of tefillin for some dates? Mal Yazid, she so angry. She threw them in the river. But he says, I shouldn't have cheapened them so much of her eyes. He was laughing at her. Oh, I'll pay you a date for the film. The film goes for $1,000. So he says, I don't want to pay, you know. So she got so angry, she threw it in the river. So he says, says, it's my fault. I was a little too... Uh, I, I, I mean, uh, so... So Abaya says he should have been so flippant with her. He made her so angry. She calls. You want to pay. You want to pay her because you want to uh-huh. take the film out of her hand, but not. Pay her nothing. She get insulted. Next mission is Divorce your wife because of a bad reputation. Don't take her back. Because of a vow, don't take her back. If it's a vow that's known to the public, then don't take her back. The other way, if no one knows about it, if it's the husband, could take her back. If the husband divorced the wife because of a vow that requires a chakiris chacham, inquiry of a sage, don't take her back. If he doesn't need inquiry of a sage, 
They prohibited this because of the other. They prohibited a vow that requires the inquiry of a sage only because of a vow that does not require the inquiry of a sage. The rabbis say that you can't, you can't take her back if it turns out that she you know, nullified the vow, you know, retracted the vow, or it turns out that her bad reputation was undeserved. So Gemara will give two reasons. One reason is for her benefit. Because otherwise she's going to remarry, and then he's going to find out she's a righteous woman. The whole thing was a mistake. She'll say, I never really divorced her. The whole thing is a false assumption. So therefore she's uh, committed adultery. It's going to ruin, ruin her life. People think the divorce is not a divorce. So they said, they're telling the husband, you sure you divorce her? It's says, final. There's no going back. So you divorce her, you divorce her. You think, think ten times before you divorce her. And then once it's done, it's done. Others say... What it's going to happen? Other reason is to, that the women should be careful. That the women shouldn't just vow or shouldn't even enter into a suspicion. You shouldn't even act in a way that may even cause suspicion. So they were very strict. Before the holes, no, only a vow that was done in public that cannot be revoked. So therefore, she's so reckless. In that case, that's why we say that he can't take her back. Vow, any vow that a chacham could retract, could take back. Because let's say it, had not, it was personal, nothing to do with her. I mean, it's a personal, nothing to do with the husband. Any vow that a husband has to do with a husband, she's afflicting herself, he can nullify. But any vow that's out of his purview is between her, it's the chacham. So, the, so any any so there, vow. There are some vows that the, if it's a vow that the chacham could retract it, then the, the husband can't take her back because otherwise, like we say, it'll ruin her at the end. They'll say, oh, I didn't realize it could be changed. But if only a vow that he can nullify. If he can nullify, you, it was up to you. You didn't nullify, you chose to divorce her. So you can't come later and say, had I known, whatever you know. You made a choice. So in that case, you are allowed to uh, take her back. There's no worries. Rabbi Lazar holds. In case with a, with a wise one is the one who retracts it, then you don't have to worry. The husband is not going to say, oh, had I known, because he doesn't want his wife to disgrace herself in public and go to the bezin. But in the case that he could nullify, he could say, I didn't know I had the right to nullify. So therefore, I, I regret the whole divorce. I didn't know, had I known. And because of that, we also say that even a, a vow that the wise one uproots, even that, um, the husband, there's no going back. If he divorces her for that reason, the husband, there's no going back. Sebuda says, there was an incident happened in the husband said to his wife, if I did not divorce you, I'm committing something of myself if I don't divorce you. I'm, I'm committing myself to divorce you. The rabbis allowed him to take it back. They took an ilam for the enactment, for the benefit of society. The Gemara will explain what Rabbi Yezib, Rabbi Yezib say, what's he, in reference to what? What's, what's he saying? How does this come into our mission? And what does he mean? They allowed him to come back. They allowed him to take it back for the benefit of society. To be continued, good chapas everyone, and good yamtah.